growth pains. All right, let's do this. So, hey everyone, welcome to this new episode of Growth Pains. Today, uh, me and my guests will be talking about work-life balance in a fast-paced environment, missing human connection when working remotely, dealing with uh, hyper-growth expectations, and hiring well and fast. My guest today is John Almeida. He's the first guest so far that I've actually worked with side by side. He's also my lost twin because we were both on the we were born on the same day at the same year. <laughs> he in Sri Lanka, I was born in Chile. So John now works uh, as the enterprise product lead at Miro, and before he was leading the product team at Start, where he had to deal with this annoying marketer, and before that at Improve Digital. So hey man, nice to have you here, Papa John. Welcome. Thanks, Nacho. Good to, good to be here. Excited to be on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining. It's um, I'm really excited to have like first of all a person that that, that knows me well. You can call on all my bullshit, and I, I can always edit it later if I don't like what you say. But <laughs> just uh, just feel free to go for it. Uh, we're gonna start with the true or false, right? Let me see to start warming it up. So the first one is Nacho is the brightest marketer you've ever worked with. True or false? Uh, I'm gonna go false for the last. God damn it. Uh, Come on. <laughs> well, well, Can you just say yes now go. and then I edit it and put it yes, in? Yes, but yes, but but in reality, yes. yes. Uh, thank one you. The, one of the best ones I've worked with. Thank you, thank you. I'm just going to leave that part in. Okay, the next one. Most highly impactful growth opportunities lie within product and not marketing. True or false? Um, I, I take a balanced approach to this because I think product can have a very immediate impact, right, uh, with with doing things. So you can really... Uh, if you change the user behavior or give customers a great experience, you know it helps kind of later in, in marketing of how you tell a story. Right, but that's but also that's the not pissing off marketers, right? That's the approach to not piss off marketers. What's what's the yeah? But the, but the, the <laughs> thing is, marketing takes a while, right? So taking uh, taking that kind of uh, space in people's minds of where you are takes a while. Yeah, it takes a long time. It takes repeated messaging. So. Uh, to answer your question, I think the quicker path is is probably product, but uh, the you know the, yeah, uh, I, mean, yeah. I would actually agree that that a lot of them lie in product. Um, the act of uh, this one, by the way, was a crowdsource. I called one of your former colleagues. Uh, so a shout out to Kisar for giving me this one. Uh, you can just complain about it with no, him later. I'm scared now. <laughs> the act of product strategy is really doing research, outlining assumptions, risk, your competitive advantage, and eventually coming up with an informed set of choices. True or false? Is that how you view product strategy? I would say for the most part true. That captures it, yeah. Because he was also telling me that there's a big uh, bulk of people that are like starting to see it like calling the shots sort of like being the ones that run the show and, and don't realize there's a lot of like so much research and so much like work behind calling those shots uh, before you get straight to it. Is this something that you've seen like uh, in, working in different teams, this kind of attitude? Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely have to, uh, product, you always have to roll your sleeves and understand, uh, you know, you can't do everything. There's trade-offs. You have to understand where, uh, what your customers want and uh, what you have to build and you know and there's a there's a refinement process with that right so what your customers want and what you need to build is two different things right it's the the old repeated uh, phrase of you know it would uh, ford would have uh, uh, given people horses right like faster like that like it just yeah. uh, that that whole phrase like you, you need to go through that this process and, and and refinement and understanding so i think uh, for, for product, yeah, there you come up with a hypothesis, right? And then you refine that hypothesis uh, 
and then you you create a strategy around that. But um, I don't think it's all about um, just like telling people what to do and and where to go. Right? It's you, you always have to kind of center yourself back to the to the basics. Yeah. All right. The last one. It's harder to try to make up for the product's faults with marketing than it is to fix the product in the first place. True or false? Um, so it's harder to make up make for up. the product's faults with marketing than it is to fix the product in the first place. Um, I would say false. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because you, you earlier, just a few minutes ago, you were saying how how sometimes marketing can take a bit longer, right? And I yeah. I stole this one from from Sujan Patel. He was in the last episode, and I kind of rephrased it. Because I'm interested in your approach because basically we all think that we get the raw end of the stick, right? We all think that our job is the hardest kind of thing. So I wanted to hear like a product view on it. Marketing always complains that we get to, we have to make up for faults in the product with marketing, kind of covering them up. Um, but you have a different view about this one. It would be a bit easier to correct it with marketing than with product changes. Well, I think, you know, with, with, with marketing, there's, it's, it's your, your storytelling, right? And, uh, so again, storytelling can is 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 a bit e easier, but it takes more time, right? So you can, you need to repeat the story, you need to tell people over and over again uh, how it is. With with product, there's a lot of yeah, there's um, th there's definitely kind of this 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 process of you know you're dealing with with uh, with resources, with development, with structure, and and every product is different, right? And every team is different, so. There's, yeah. there's companies where you have a, uh, a lot of resources, you have uh, structures that are scalable, and there are some where, you know, you're working within a confined, restricted uh, product, right, where you don't get the flexibility. So, um, so like, it's not, as, um, it's not as easy to make that impact in, in a quick way. So, yeah. um, so if, you, if you're looking at where you can kind of get the most bang for the buck immediately, uh, you know, in my, in my mind, you yeah, the way it would be marketing. I mean, the 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 pain there would be that eventually, if you just get used to that and you never actually improve the product as the marketing makes up for it, then is where you go in the loop of like trouble, right? Like when you just say, okay, marketing yeah. is has this under control, we can just delay this, delay it, delay it, and eventually it doesn't hold forever, right? So marketing can like support initially, it's quicker, but then product has to catch up with that effort to deliver as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I think us in product, we always talk about technical debt. And I think that applies to other parts of the business too, right? There's this marketing debt, there's a storytelling debt that you put yourself in. Yeah. And you can only, at the end of the day, bullshit your customers so much. Uh, so uh, I think marketing buys you time yeah. uh, in a way. But, That's a good way uh, to put it, right? Great. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to deliver. And it's all about kind of coordinating that kind of what, 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 uh, timeline is what that story is as long as you know you're going there yeah right it's it's fine to kind of work uh work with marketing to to get the story out there quicker but uh but yeah you have to deliver on the product side the user experience side all right let's start getting into the into the painful terrain like what is um what is one thing that you would like to highlight before we get into the pains that you think you're really really bad at when it when it comes to work so what's the kind of biggest uh, biggest pain I have or the biggest I mean something I'm... that you just feel like you are just honestly bad at right like it's not even it's not even a pain because of any circumstances it's just something that you just struggle with and have struggled with uh, for a while 
Yeah, I think the, the one that I, I've struggled with is just taking on too much. You know, I, I think another way to put it on is uh, another angle on that is focus. Yeah. Uh, but I, I look at it as taking on too much. I think initially you get excited by a lot of, a lot of ideas, a lot of things, and you think, okay, I'm going to drive, uh, drive projects and, and drive initiatives. Uh, but you know, it takes it all takes time. There's always trade offs, right? So uh, that's that's something I'm continuing to refine, right? So even um, you know, I ha- I used to have this kind of guilt if I didn't read a certain newsletter or a blog post, right? Yep. Like that FOMO, you know, that, that yeah, that that kind of FOMO. <laughs> and then finally, I, you know, I asked myself once, you know, what why am I doing this, right? So you need to kind of also um, kind of do an audit of these things once in a while. So uh, you know, for that for that example specifically. I just automate, I put everything in a reading folder, right? And if I have time, I go there and read it. But, you know, I don't feel guilt that this thing is there, that I have to read it. I have to make time for it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that applies to work as well, right? You have to take, you have to take on things. And, and sometimes the things that are very important, you have to really have deep thought, deep focus, deep work. And, and that those things take time. So you, you can't uh, take on everything. Otherwise, you're going to half-ass the other things. Yeah, it's a struggle for me as well. I think I think we are both a little bit uh, more prone to saying yes than to saying no, right? When, when something yeah. comes your way, you're like, hey, sure, man, I'll help you out. And then eventually you realize that your day only has eight hours and that practically out of those eight hours for real, like focus work, maybe is half of it, if you're lucky. Uh, and and then you start realizing how important it is to to say no to things and taking on on less, right? But it, it's difficult. I think when you're a bit hardwired to just always like cooperate with things, it's. Uh, I also struggle with that one, but I think it's a, it's very valuable. Um, you were mentioning also when we were ping ponging emails about the pains, uh, work life balance, right? Especially in a very fast paced environment, because uh, right now you join Miro at a very pivotal point, right? And the pandemic. Uh, did nothing but make you guys grow way faster, uh, which is one of those rare companies that has been just booming with with the situation right now because it basically bases its offering in remote working. Um, and this must have been a, a pretty big change for you. Uh, I can imagine that, of course, now you're working uh, from home, but work-life balance, how was that affected in this new faster-paced environment compared to what we were doing together at Star? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's funny, right? Like you... Uh I've heard the phrase that you know now instead of going to work, you're, you're living at work, and I, I, that's how I feel sometimes, right? That it's it's easy to kind of always stay connected and uh, not have that balance. Yeah, and um, and also you know there's a couple things with that. One, yeah, you know there's this certain guilt that okay, if your company is growing or doing well, and you, you see kind of the world around you uh, of companies not doing well, people losing their jobs, you know you you want to keep working harder, you want to keep contributing and doing more. Um, so, you, you know, you, yeah, I think we're both the type of people, we're not going to complain. We're just going to, yeah. you know, kind of feel gratitude for what we have. So, so that's part of it. And so, but at, at the end of the day, you know, you, you need to, you need to kind of have this fine line of, you know, separation. And I think it was easier, right? During, let's say, pre-pandemic where, you know, you go to your office and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, you're interacting there and then you come home and, um, you know, sometimes there were those days where it, it bled into like kind of your personal life, but those are kind of few and far between. And I, now I think that there's just more of it. And, uh, you know, from talking to other colleagues and, and friends, I think, um, you know, this, I think this whole work-life balance is, 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 is an issue right now. Yeah. You know, but there's a, po- there's a lot of positives also with, you know, that come with, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, with like working from home, right? So, 
Um, yeah. So yeah, it's all kind of this fine line. Yeah, that was my my next question, right? Because a, a lot of people, well, technically, we we have more time for personal life. If you look at it like you know, like uh, rationally, like we stay more at home, you're not commuting, you have actually more time to spend with with your wife or or other things. Uh, but a lot of people are seeing that that is even more difficult than 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 we were not not remote, right? You also joined the company, and uh, recently, and as a new joiner in an environment of like high expectations, you also might feel like you know, like you need to prove yourself more in the beginning. Right, but the problem yeah. with that is that when you do that a lot in the beginning, then that's a door that's hard to close when you've opened it too yeah. much, right? Like people expect if you're that guy that answers like after two seconds that you get a message and you'll answer a, a Slack message at like 11 p.m. or whatever, that's where you also set the expectations, right? In the yeah. in the in the first few weeks, how have you been trying to to not fall into that trap, right? Because it's you set those expectations is maybe maybe you get like two weeks. And then you set them, and then it's really hard to change them, right? Because people get used to it. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely tough, right? So I think uh, one of the things is just kind of having those boundaries of, of, of when you uh, let yourself rest and, and, and kind of walk away, you know? So I think it's important, especially as everyone's in this environment for the next, uh, for the foreseeable future, that you have this separation of work, uh, work and life in your house, because Uh, even yeah, even with notifications, like exactly like Slack, I, I'll see a uh, you know a, a message from a colleague in the San Francisco office, and it's you know 11 p.m. here in Amsterdam, yeah. and without even blinking, I'll just reply because it's easy to do. But what what happens is that you're creating yeah that that habit, and I think it's just important to set boundaries there, and um, you know have a bit of balance, and and and. and Especially now, yeah, you think, okay, I'm home, I'm, I'm saving all this time, but um, you know, we're seeing now statistically like people are taking less holidays there because they just think, okay, I'm home and things like that. But it's yeah. still important to have those that, that that balance, you know. Yeah, and like uh, also something that people might not know, you just mentioned it, but you guys work across different time zones, right? So you have a, a team yeah. in, in Russia, and then you have a team in in LA. And for those who don't know that are listening, we're based both in Amsterdam. And with LA, I think it's like a 10-hour difference or something like that. So basically, when you're not working, they're working, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how do you manage to set up work in such a way that you can still respect your personal time? Because I can imagine, you know, like, as you say it, right? Like, like if, if there's a blocker, you would feel like a, basically like an ass for not saying, hey, I can unblock you. It's easy. But you can only do that to an extent. If you just keep doing that and keep doing that, then you don't even realize it and you're working until 10 p.m. every day. Um, is, is this something that you guys have uh, discussed with the team and have found some sort of process that allows you to set up work in a way that your intervention is not needed so often? Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're big on kind of synchronous and asynchronous work, you know, defining those boundaries. And obviously we have a tool that is made for that to, to, to enable people to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of it is, yeah, is, is, is how do we, Uh, set expectations with each other and, and work in a way that we don't burn each other. There's obviously overlaps, right? There, there, there are times where we need to speak face to face, and I think we uh, we've established kind of predictable, let's say, meetings or rhythms where we know, okay, on Monday we're meeting here, or on on Wednesday this is a, a late meeting, right? Yeah. But I think what's what's the hard thing is it can bleed over very easily, right? Like your day can easily go into Uh, the evenings into the late nights and before you know it you're working 15 18 hours and, and you're not thinking about it but yeah uh, so it goes back to those couple of things of boundaries of setting expectations um, 
learning. I think you know the, the big thing now is people learning how to work uh, uh, asynchronously, right? You're, this, where you, the norm is synchronous work. Which I is, can walk over, talk to you. Which must must be tricky for 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 the kind of work that you do, right? I can imagine for marketing in particular, where I make so many like micro decisions on like every hour, right? Like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about the other? Like, you can set up a good briefing, you can set up the project really thoroughly, but at some point you're going to have to step in uh, through the day, right? Or, or, or have you guys found a good formula there? Well, I think the biggest thing, uh, to be honest with you, is that it, uh, it makes uh, communication even more critical, right? right. So you, you can see if someone really doesn't communicate well across teams or isn't clear in their communication. And, and I think that's, for everyone, that's kind of a, uh, it's a personal journey. You, you can always get better with communication. There isn't like, there isn't one, uh, you know, you're not going to wake up one day and say, okay, that's it. I'm the best communicator, right? There's always an evolution because you're always dealing with someone else. Um, so yeah. uh, that, that's the one thing that's been exposed, I think, with all of this is that everyone's communication style is different and you need to evolve and learn and actually do it faster than you probably are comfortable with. But that's a really good point, right? Because when you're in the office and, and you send that ambiguous email that you know is like not that easy to understand and you just wrote it in a rush or whatever, you always know in the back of your head that you could just get up your desk and, and like solve the situation. But now that, you yeah. can, now that you cannot, especially when you're in different time zones, right? And if you want to keep that work-life balance, then that means that those two, three emails that you're going to send through the day, you better damn sure they're, they're easy to understand and they don't bring up more, more hesitation, right? Because you want to make sure that they don't require you after that. So it forces yeah, you to be more, more thorough. Yeah, and, and I think of how many meetings I put on your calendar or an email I sent and I walked right over and explained <laughs> yeah. what I meant by that, right, in the office. And yeah, you don't get that chance, right? So yeah. that, that's also just, a, that's been a, just this new thing that uh, I've had to learn. I know other people have had to learn and I think it's uh, oh, going to be like in the new norm. I annoyed my team so so much. So we started like having some sort of like a flag on your desk so nobody could just come and annoy you and, uh, and, and just interrupt you and stuff like that. But I never managed and then Corona hit. But I'm, when we come back to the office, I'm definitely going to fight for that, for that little flag that nobody, <laughs> nobody comes over to my desk. In terms of um, the other side that comes with this is, is human connection, right? And that's, that's this, the other pain that we wanted to discuss. I mean, you guys at Miro, I think by culture, even, even before, before Corona, have a pretty big like working remote and distributed team culture, right? This is the why you're set up the way you're set up, um, different time zones and all of this stuff. But for most of us, there's some human interaction that is like what gets you pumped and you need to get going. And, and I think you and I uh, were frequent uh, Starbucks around the corner uh, meetings and stuff like that that will just get you motivated and a bit more inspired. How are you coping with, with that lack of, um, of this human interaction factor, which is hitting quite a few of us? The longer it gets, the worse it gets, right? Yeah, it's definitely a tough one. You know, it, it's one thing, it's, it's, it's a thing that I didn't realize how much I enjoyed or missed, let's say, until the pandemic, right? Because, um, yeah, I think just little things like getting a coffee with a coworker or uh, having lunch or, you know, a, a fri our Friday beers that we used to have, right? Like, and, and asking how your week was, you, you kind of miss those kind of micro interactions, which, which do add up. Um, and so that, that, uh, that is definitely something I, I felt. And then also, um, you know, we're, like with Miro, we're growing, right? So we, we, we've hired a, a lot of people, a couple hundred people, and Amsterdam office has, 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 you know, I think tripled in size. And for me personally, 
from working at other scale-ups, you know, you get an energy from that. There's an energy from new people joining and, um, and you see the company grow, right? And when you don't see each other face-to-face, you kind of, uh, even though there's this excitement that the company is growing, you kind of miss out on that energy of new people coming in and, and getting to know them. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a huge, uh, huge issue. And, and it's also hard because, you know, right now I think everyone's on these kind of, let's get, you know, Zoom fatigue or Zoom schedule. Yeah. Right? You're, you're going into back-to-back meetings, your day. It's just a lot of context switching. And, you know, like simple things like, you know, when you start a meeting, you know, if you ask, you know, hey, how was your weekend or, you know, what do you have any plans for the week? You know, the, the, you, you, we don't do that anymore, right? You just kind of get into work. And I think it's important now even, we, we've, we've done this even with, with team stand-ups is, you know, you can join 15 minutes early, you know, the, 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 the meeting starts at 10 a.m., but we, we have the call open at 9.45. Yeah. And you can just join and just kind of, you know, talk about your day or, or, or whatever. And I think it's important to kind of build that into uh, your rhythm of, of meetings and, and try to at least try to recreate a little bit of that connection. It's, you're not going to get it, obviously, but to at least feel a little bit of that human connection, I think, is, is very important at this point. Yeah, and, and I mean, this might, this might be a stereotype, right? But my experience also, like product teams where, or like when you have more people in engineering or developers or so on, those people sometimes are more into this idea of just like being left alone and just working like completely focused and not having that much social interaction. They're just like, leave me to my code kind of thing. In marketing, that's a bit easier because we're a bit all more like silly and, and we're, we're better at wasting our time. But I think uh, that, that must also be really hard because there are some people that are like, amazing, I'm going to lock myself in and code all day, see you guys in 2021. And then as a manager, you're also like, dude, but what about that, you know, that original, like 20 minute, like little Zoom thing just to keep the vibe going. And some of them just don't care, right? Like, ha- has that yeah. been an issue sometimes with some of your coworkers or, or in the past when you've done this kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, in the past, like, you know, I think people, there, there are people that really enjoy kind of this, you know, uh, the whole work from home situation and, yeah. and uh, kind of that, that, that big separation. But yeah, I mean, I think, especially if you're a product manager, you know, a lot of your interaction is, is, is working with development or design or, or uh, analytics teams to uh, kind of form that relationship because there's always deadlines you're running through. There's always yeah. uh, short-term and long-term projects you're working on. And, you know, oh God, I, I think in the last 10 years, I don't know how many developers I bought a beer for, right? Hey, if you can get this done, I, so I'll buy you a beer on Friday. And it works, you know, it definitely works. And that's how you kind of, in a funny way, build relationships. And, and that's real. That's like a real part of yeah. uh, working together, right? And, 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 uh, and I think it happens more often than people realize. And uh, yeah, you just got to find a way to recreate it in some way uh, if you can, you know. But from my perspective, there's also a little bit of an upside on this one, right? Because, I mean, to be honest, I, I've also found myself like sometimes much more productive uh, doing this whole like separation because, uh, you know, in the past I used to have like my huddle with my team, we would meet for a few minutes and then my hope would be that everything would be solved in those few minutes and then my day would just be super focused, right? But in, in reality, I would just get interrupted all the time uh, and stuff like that uh, because because it's easy because you're just there, right? So it's like, hey, let's grab a coffee, let me tell you this, the other. 
Um, I'm not a big fan of open plan offices. I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of those people that misses the cubicle. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't hate me for it, but I think it's just a fantastic invention. But how do you feel about this? Do you feel like, have you also see, seen yourself like having a bit of a productivity boost? Not, not in working more hours, but in actually getting more done in your time. Um, I mean, I think there's, yeah, you, you can, uh, like for me personally, yeah, I can take on a lot more and kind of, you know, you know, when you're productive, right? So let's, uh, let's like, let's look at it that way, right? Like for me, like in the mornings, I know I can be super productive. So before even I get into standups, I start, I tend to like, just kind of get on and, and do a lot of deep focus work. And then I know in the, as soon as I have my daily and some, uh, meetings in the afternoon that it's not going to be as productive, right? So you can kind of pick and choose mm. when uh, the, the time periods where you feel like you can have a, the best output, right? So, and that's not necessarily, like, if you think about it, those mornings I typically would have been spending, you know, getting ready for work and, uh, you know, going to work. And, and now I can use that in a different way, right? So, um, so again, it's, I think it's kind of using using the this whole opportunity in a different way to to put yourself in a good position uh so yeah there are spots where i definitely feel like super productive uh where i haven't had that in the past and there are some spots where you know i feel like hey you know th this is about the time i would get up and grab a coffee with a coworker, yeah. if i you know talk about an issue or something and and those are uh you know you you can't do that anymore if somebody's zoom you know you look at their calendar and they're they have multiple Zoom calls, right? You're, you don't have that spontaneous uh, uh, interaction anymore. Yeah, I think, honestly, I mean, w what's interesting is that, well, we, we tend to romanticize this idea of, like, you know, like the team and so on, and, and we love it. But also to, like, no matter how good your workplace is, like, at some point, there are also people in companies, and that happens in, in most companies, that are not that much of a positive energy that also drain your energy. Right. You, yeah. you can also have maybe not all the time, but in situations, certain projects, you might have coworkers that like really like do it like you're that really drain you. And so you and you can control that better in a work from home environment. Have you thought about what your sweet spot looks like, like moving forward in 2022 or whatever the hell we get rid of this virus? Like, what does it look like? Would you like to go home uh, a few days, then then work from the office a couple? What do you think you'll find your sweet spot? Yeah, no, it's it's something I've I've deeply thought about and also asked others as well. And uh, I think this kind of if, if you know you have the ability to um, have the flexibility, I think is the biggest thing, right? So just in the back of your mind, if you know you can do like have this, uh, you can work from home or go in the office. There's there's a there's a freedom in the way you feel uh, that you get a big benefit from. But uh, realistically, if I in practice, I would say. Uh, something where, you know, you go, I could go to the office two days a week, let's say, you know, uh, and maybe uh, work from home three would be this, this great balance. And, and those three days I could really, uh, you know, kind of schedule it out to, to be deep focused work. And, and in the office, it's, it's about interaction. It's about meeting. It's about um, uh, really kind of FaceTime with people and, 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 uh, getting to know them a bit better, right? So I think in an ideal world, that would be, it would be this balance where you could kind of go in either two days a week or three days a week and then, or vice versa with home. So yeah. Um, yeah. And what's tricky, it's because also you guys are at a stage right now and this is like moving over to like the next pain, which is dealing with like hyper growth expectations, right? I have a, 
I had before also Rand Fishkin in, in, in the first episode and we discussed kind of like what it means to take venture and, and how that really put some pressure on businesses, right? You guys have raised, if I'm not wrong, about 76 million and you guys actually raised the bulk of that, like 50 million right after you joined, right? So like maybe a month or something after you joined. Um, so no money is free in life and that comes with incredible growth expectations, right? Like the way VCs work, they really have their chips in a few like star companies in their in their system and they really want those to not, you know, 100% year on year is not enough anymore. Like you really need to just like bring it to 400, 500 and God knows what it takes to become a unicorn in 2022, right? So um, how are you coping with that challenge? Because that's certainly a change from what you've done in the past, which has been like, sure, there's been growth and so on, but like a bit more in standard levels, right? Not in these unicorn levels. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's expectations, right? So, uh, and uh, you're, you're always kind of looking at everything around scalability, pushing it uh, to the next level. And, and there's, uh, there's a couple of layers to this, right? So one, for you to grow, you need people, right? So you need to, you need to hire at scale, you need to bring people on. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So uh, you're shifting focus into, um, you know, uh, really doing interviews in volume, and, and, and trying to get people in the pipeline to, to help you uh, strategize. The other, other, other side of this is that um, as you're doing well with revenue, you know, you, you're, the expectation is actually, oh, great, you're, you're growing 100% this year. You need to grow 200%. Uh, it's crazy year, how that right? goes, right? Like it, there's just this thing that we freaking humans have that like you grow, the first time you grow 100% one year, you're like psyched about it. And then the next year, that's, that already feels like crap, and it's, it has to be 150. And then, and, and when you get venture, it's yeah, those expectations are are even higher. Yeah, and, and I, I've talked to, I, you know, I've talked to kind of um, uh, you know revenue officers at, at other VC funded firms, and you know, I had the same conversation. I said, hey, wow, like you know, you guys are growing extremely fast. Congratulations! And they're like, yeah, it's great, but you know, I know already next year I'm going to have to up the game and I, I gotta I gotta figure out where that's gonna come from, right? So uh, you know, so with that, you know, this I think everything around growth is 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 there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to expand the team, to execute your current strategy, to mm. create a new strategy, um, to uh, and then all the while you're kind of like improving your product, uh, learning from customers, right? So there's a lot of things going on and and so that's uh, you know, that's part of it where you, you can get a lot of it. I think I always say there's two type of people like with uh, with uh, growth companies, especially hyper growth, you either kind of get energy from it or it takes energy away from you. Like, mm. uh, and this is from working at previous companies uh, as well that were VC funded. Like you, you're either in one of those two buckets. Right. And so uh, you got to figure out kind of uh, where where you're going to get your energy from in this, because it's, it is definitely a grind. It's it's uh it's a lot of work, right? And I know hopefully there's this kind of reward uh, there, which is also another kind of yeah. topic and story. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, I just, that's just like kind of the expectations of it. And uh, I think from the outside looking in, people think, okay, wow, there's a, that sounds amazing. That's great. But, you know, there's it's real work. There's a lot of uh, people putting in a lot of hours. And, uh, you know, I, I know I have a lot of hardworking colleagues and a lot of smart colleagues. And 
um, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's real at the end. And like, that's the part that people kind of forget. Well, it's like everything, right? When you, when you just watch your favorite TV show or whatever, you're like, oh, this must be a blast to make it, but to actually make it, it's a lot of work, right? And, and when people look at, at these companies that the Teslas or whatever that are growing like crazy, you're always like, oh, that must be so fun to, to, to work in that company. And sure, it's fun, but it's also demanding as hell, right? And, it, and it's really busy. I think, if I'm not wrong, since you joined, you guys have kind of like basically doubled in employees, in employees since you joined, yeah. right? And that's been six months ago or seven months ago or something like that. So, yeah, so exactly. that's a crazy amount. Um, so one thing is the company expectations, right? So we all know where you want to be in revenue. That's like the overall North Star of the company. And another thing are interdepartmental expectations at this like hyper growth stage, right? How do you manage with a, such a fast growing team that those don't get lost along the way, right? Because it's like for every person that comes in and the team comes in, you have to say, okay, so this is our expectations. You have to have really good documentation or something with people can catch up with. Um, how do you manage so, so there's not a disalignment there? Because when there, there's a disalignment, that's where, where conflict happens, right? That's when you can get into trouble. Yeah, I think uh, structurally, you know, the, the leaders in each of these groups need to figure out a way of working. Uh, and as you alluded to, you know, we've doubled in size, so uh, things are constantly changing, right? And, and we're going to, uh, you know, double again, right? So uh, I think the most important thing is even if the leadership has aligned on things is that uh, you continue to revisit everything over yeah. and over again. And then it's, a, it's a bit annoying, right, that if you set a process or structure in place that maybe six months down the line you have to uh, revisit it. But the reality is if, if your organization is operating the same when it's 250 people, 500 people, and then 1,000 people, that, like, that's not true. That's never going to happen, right? Like, yeah. uh, people, like, people are people. They will add complexity. They'll add, uh, add a layer of things of decision-making. And um, you know, I think most companies, including us, we try to uh, avoid that, avoid any sort of hierarchy or bureaucracy. But you know, it, it just, it, that's just a natural element of, of growing a company and I think it's just important to revisit everything over and over again and, and even have people that are you know looking at it full-time right so they're looking at um, uh, engineering excellence or product excellence yeah. or uh, all those things and and, and, and revisiting uh, the structure yeah because also what what was tricky about this this hyper growth mindset which obviously it must be very rewarding in one way but is the thing is that um, growing is not only based on acquisition of new customers, right? So maximizing revenue from the existing customers that you have, it's also an essential part on this, maybe even more essential than, than acquiring more. Um, and in this obsession for growth, there's also the temptation to pursue tactics that are maybe not so customer-centric that might create revenue, right? The, the whole growth hacking thing, you can easily say, hey, what if we just, instead of giving this part of the product for free, we start charging for it now? Oh, nice. And you can add some, what if we just up the pricing in a few euros and nobody will know, but that because we have a lot of customers, that's a little bit more money, right? And you can go in a bit of a snowball here on which eventually your, your customers go like, you know what? Fuck it. I've had it, you know? And, and you don't see that coming. It just, it just comes when it comes. You don't see it building up. How, is this something that you guys are are very aware of because I think until this point, you guys have been very customer centric, right? And I think the product is really focused around the customer. But as you grow, that temptation will grow with you because there's going to be growth opportunities in those little tactics. How, how do you think yeah. you're going to resist those? Yeah, I think that's, it's all about 
maintaining that, um, yeah, that customer obsession, right? I know a lot of companies say it, but to really do it, it, it there's a, there's a, there has to be a high bar, and you know that's something I think uh, at Miro I've seen done in a world class way is is this really customer obsessiveness, uh, creating a structure and uh, process where everything is looked at from the customer's eyes. You have to go in and prove uh, you know your your hypothesis with with real evidence from a customer's point of view. Mm-hmm. So there's no kind of uh, you know, one person's voice is, is influencing things or one big customer's uh, want is, is influencing anything. So it's really looking at it very holistically um, and, and uh, taking, taking that approach. But, you know, at some point, you also have to have this fine line of uh, fine balance between experimentation as well, right? So there's things you want to experiment with, right? So whether it's um, yeah, how you, you package your plans yeah, exactly. or package a set of features. Um, and I think that you should... Uh, as long as you can kind of, um, you know, honestly say that you're doing these things with this customer intent in mind uh, for value of customers, I think that's fine. If it ever becomes a question of, you know, uh, does it help the customer? That's when I think you, okay, should really like slow down and say, is this the right thing to do? And that's when, you know, like as you said, you know, there's these temptations that can happen and can occur. And then, you know, that there's probably these signals that you'll see coming in that, um, these leading indicators of okay, maybe we should stop it and think about this. We've gone way too far, right? But yeah, yeah there's always a balance between those two th- uh, two areas. Yeah, because one of the biggest signs of this is that you know your free product is already very, very, very generous, right? So it's a very generous product, and at some point, uh, when you have the level of acquisition you guys have, then it, it will become natural for somebody to say, hey. Uh, maybe we might be giving this too much for free. We could charge for this and there's revenue options here. And as you say, that line is very thin, right? Like, it, of course, you have to maximize your revenue opportunities, but it can very easily go in the direction of like, just like, you know, annoying loyal people and loyal, loyal users because some of those free users, for example, might not even become paying customers ever, but maybe they brought in two other paying customers by just by word of mouth, right? And that's probably a hard temptation to to resist. But I wanted to dig deeper a little bit on the hiring because I, you just mentioned a little bit before, you guys need to, not, you don't only need to hire a lot, you need to hire really fast, right? Because you have really fast expectations of keeping growing. How many people are you, are you thinking about hiring or how, how many have you hired and how many are you about to hire in the next few months or in the next time period? Yeah, I think uh, so. When I started the company, it was around 250 people. We've hired about 250 uh, in the last, yes. Yeah, and in your team, personally, like how, how fast is that moving? Yeah, in the team, I think we there were eight people. Now it's going to be yeah, close to 15 people. And then, that, yeah, that'll also continue to grow to probably 20, 25 people. Okay, so th- this is a really interesting pain for me because uh, I've had this pain even hiring at a very small scale. Right, like you're just feeling that it's taking a lot of the of their day. I'm I'm one of those one of those managers that it's also very into execution. I, I have I just go and get my hands dirty if needed. I'll just do this and the other. Um, and hiring, even when we were hiring a few people, it, it would take a significant chunk of my day. Right. So, um, how are you accommodating that? Because I can imagine that this by default could be taking a significant a significant chunk of of your time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question, actually. So I think initially for me, um, I think my default was kind of going into this execution mode, right? So, uh, you know, I, I can help right away. I can do things right away. 
And then you realize after a while that you're, you're, you're going to hit a wall, that if, if you're doing everything, then other things can't happen. And then this goes back into uh, the, the first thing we, we talked about of taking on too much, right? Yeah. Like, there's things I, I, I want to do, but you, you just need the time to do it. So, um, so for that to happen, you realize very quickly you need to actually dedicate. Hiring should be kind of one of the number one things you do. Um, and it's, it, I think it's hard because instinctually people are, uh, you know, these exec, you know, they like to execute. They like, they, they kind of stay in this, this comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think just making it a priority, right. And, and establishing it. So for, for example, what the one thing I've done in the mornings is the first thing I do is look through my hiring pipeline. And so either go through candidates or, or, or test cases or, uh, or, or scheduling with uh, with HR, right? So it's the first thing I do. That's and, really interesting because uh, for for most of us, that that's like your dashboard, right? Like your your analytics dashboard or something like that, or like my SQLs or whatever it is. And and for you, it's actually such a priority that it's it's the top thing on your mind. Yeah, and and and, and I learned this the hard way, right? I, I'm not saying this is something that instinctual instinctually just came to me. It was something where. Uh, it was easy for me to just focus on the work uh, side of it. And then you realize after a while you're, yeah, you know, it can't be a secondary thing that you do. Otherwise, it's just never going to get traction. And I, I noticed right away that as soon as I put focus on in it and really kind of uh, dedicated time to it every day, that it made a huge difference. There was like this really ripple effect of, of what was happening in the pipeline of as far as, you know, who we were screening and who was getting through the process and, um and so it's just a matter of kind of, you know, you need to put priority on it. And uh, again, if you, uh, the other topic of hypergrowth, you can't grow if you don't bring people in. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and uh, it, it's, uh, so yeah, I think instinctually it's, it's not something people are comfortable with, you know, like most companies, I don't think a lot of people walk into companies and they say, okay, we're hiring a couple hundred people, you know, <laughs> yeah, like you should, yeah. you, you know, you need to, uh, you need to, um, kind of really get into that mode, right? So my first three months, I think, at Miro, I did 60 interviews. And that's something, I'm, I'm, you know, that's just not, most people don't go through that process. That's not normal, right? That's also part of that, this kind of hyper growth. But also expectations are really important, right? I mean, you're, you're blessed in a way that the product has gotten in such a momentum, right? That you're not really worried about underperforming, right? In your metrics, right? Because the product is just like overperforming like crazy and it's just growing and growing and growing. But that also puts a little bit of pressure because when you come in a new business, also people tend to expect results fast or you think coming in a new business that people expect results fast from you. So the temptation to like spend the most possible time in those like lower hanging fruits where you can show like a metric like skyrocketing, it's... Um, it's important, but you need to like be, you know, mature enough to realize that you might be able to like say and communicate, hey, set the right expectations. My metrics are not going to go anywhere because I need to spend the first three months really hiring people and then I can focus on this, right? And what's tricky for me is that hiring is just the beginning of this because you need to onboard the hell out of these people. Right, like uh, no matter how much of a senior developer you get, or a senior engineer, or product manager, or whatever it is, we all learn our jobs in the job. The, every company is different. Everything is different. So um, you have simultaneously, like, constantly recruiting new people, onboarding the ones you just hired, and trying to get the ones that are already into the team to to be up and going. Like, if you would have to like 
I don't know, give like random percentages of how your time it's dedicated to each one of those. How much time do you think goes into each bucket, right? Like hiring, onboarding and, and, and running the team? Yeah, no, I think the, yeah, once you kind of get past this mentality that, you know, you can do everything or you can execute and you kind of focus on hiring, then you, you start to realize that, okay, uh, the, you know, a couple hours I spend a week is not good enough. You need to spend every day, dedicate, de dedicate some time to doing it. Yeah. And then, yeah, as, as you said, as you bring people on, uh, make sure that they understand the roadmap, the strategy, the team, uh, who's who in the organization, which is also continuing to evolve. Uh, yeah. So there's this kind of training aspect that you're constantly going through. Um, and I, you know, I think the bigger, you, the bigger you grow as an organization or the higher you go in an organization, you, uh, there, there's, a being a people manager is very important. You know, that's there, there's a skill in, in people management that I don't think it's, yeah. uh, talked about too much. Yeah, I think you, you know, if you think of product or you think of marketing, you think of the strategy, you think of like kind of the fun things, but this, the people manager part is, is very important because if you have the right people there. You know, they're, they're the ones that are going to help you execute that vision and, and strategy you might have, right? So, um, yeah, for me, it's also been a learning uh, learning point that, you know, just spending time to uh, to hire, to uh, onboard, all those things is, is super important. And, and and not just people on my team, right? Like if I see a newcomer come in where I think, hey, I can help them yeah, um, uh, kind of you know, cut the learning curve that I went through or point them in the right direction, uh, again, I, I feel like that's my responsibility to do that. And yeah. uh, so, um, so I, I've done that as well as, as, as new people have come in in other departments and, uh, you know, I see a, hey, I can point them in I the mean, right direction or here's some resources. I think that's, you know, one part of it, about it. Yeah, I mean, one part of it is just being a nice guy, right? Which, which, well, you think you are, you're not really, but now you're, you're a nice guy. <laughs> but that one part of it is just natural. And the other one is that also there is some sort of like, and intelligent strategy because you know a social currency in a company it's very important and 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 the more you can help people the more people will help you and our jobs very much rely on building bridges between departments you're never just going to be able to execute on your own so the more the better you can get along with people and the more you can do them a favor here and there and cooperate this is why sometimes it's hard for us to say no uh, because you know at some point that 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 comes back to you right it's not that you do it because of that but it does naturally come back to you eventually when you need something or when you need to push a project or something like that. So I think having that more long-term mentality when it comes to people, it's also super important because yeah, people people don't forget those nice gestures, right? When they when they first join a company. Yeah, and my philosophy has always been, you know, at the end of the day, you you can you can have a project that has like a limited scope or time frame, right? That you know, let's say you have a project, you develop it, you execute it, you launch it. Um, that 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 is kind of a, a finite. Uh, uh, thing, but this going back and working with the same people is infinite, right? Like there's going to be hundreds of or thousands of projects with the same people uh, that you need to interact with, right? And I think that's the most important part that kind of yeah. people forget that, you know, yeah, stuff might go wrong, but you know, at the end of the day, there are people that more than likely, if you think about if everyone's circle of work, right, they have to work with every day repeatedly over and over, and. For that, that comes down to good relationships, you know, communication, all those things that uh, we've talked about. So yeah, um, that and that's that's just something you kind of have to continually develop, right? 
Yeah, what's also interesting about this hyper-growth uh, hiring is that I, I've also been in this stage before in my life where, where the companies are just doubling and doubling, and um, it creates a lot of challenges for the organization. But what's interesting is that there's an assumption in, in my belief, a fallacy, that more people means faster by default. You'll be able to execute faster the more people you get. But that is only right when you're having processes in place that allow you to do that because if you don't, very often it is actually slower, right? If you had one guy that, yeah, sure, maybe completely a bit overworked, right? But could handle it all together and didn't have to get approval from anybody, could handle something from beginning to end. And then you break his tasks into little areas and you're like, you handle this, you handle the other. You're creating these codependencies on roles and things like that, that sometimes even slows some functions, right? So have you had these kind of experiences in the past and... And how are you gonna? How are you trying to avoid the situation now that you guys are scaling so quickly? Yeah, I think in general, right? The the rule of thumb I've always heard is that it takes you kind of three months to get coordinated in a in a company. It takes you about six months to get coordinated in your role. Uh, it takes you about twelve months to understand your industry, right? And I think that's people people kind of forget that sometimes that yeah, uh, yeah there yeah you're gonna hire, but then there's gonna be this dip. And then hopefully this productivity. So you're hiring not for now, uh, which is dangerous. I think companies do that, right? They think they can bring in someone and then they'll help them right away. And they don't realize there's this kind of onboarding and learning process that needs to happen first, right? So uh, hopefully the hiring you're doing now is you're predicting kind of for this future output and uh, and, and strategy that you're supporting. Uh, but um, you know, that, that dip will happen. Yeah, right? exactly. You can, right. You can hire the, the, the most senior person and then that, that dip will happen. And, and then that's just kind of in a normal scenario. And then you add the, the different layer of you're growing fast. You're adding a lot of people that, yeah. you know, that you're going to continue to get to know. Uh, and then that's adds another level of, uh, of complexity, right? So in, in a perfect world, you know, it, it, let's say it takes someone, in there's that three, six month and 12 month uh, periods to really know, know the company, know their role, know the industry. Uh, and then you add other complexities to it. And then, yeah, then it's, you know, you, I think you just have to be realistic about it. But what also leads to, I think, to over hiring in some scenarios, right, is that um, you feel like, hey, we've got money now, we're growing, we've got the people, let's just aim for the world. Right, and then you start saying, "Why don't we just start a side, a side business, a side whatever?" We have the people. Let's get, let's do more, 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 more. And often, the majority of the growth of business comes from from few places, right? From very clear places. That so you have the option of either like tripling down on those and like really going for it for like maximizing them, or you have the temptation of saying oh man, we could also use this for that. And we could also use this whiteboard for this other thing. And you start all of a sudden like losing your focus, trying to be, you know, the whiteboard for everybody in the planet when it could be only for a few people that do this function or the other. And, and on that, you know, on that idea, you also end up over hiring because you're like, oh, now we need another team to manage this part of the product. We need another team to manage this part of the product. And sometimes you haven't even maximized the growth in one area. Uh, I think you guys are probably very focused in, in this direction, but this is, is this something that um, you guys have discussed or something that's in your radar to avoid happening? Because I also think the temptation is it's, it's there, right? Especially when your pockets are, are, are getting full and, and you see like you can take over the world, the temptation to do so, it's, it's very big. 
Yeah, I think that that conversation boils down to your strategy, right? You you're always revisiting, like you have a vision, obviously, of where you think you can go, but how you get there is going to be different, mm-hmm. and it, that can change uh, on a moment's notice, as we saw uh, with, with with COVID and and what what happened with with the business at Miro. Uh, but um, yeah, so so with that, I think that the thing is that. You have to have some strategic bets, obviously, that you're you're placing, and you have to know where you're going, and you have to be confident in that direction. Yeah. And yeah, I've worked at companies where yeah, there was a strategic bet placed, there was resources brought in for that strategic bet, and the bet was you know not um, not what we thought it was, right? Uh, in other companies, so uh, it, it it does happen, but you know you kind of have to also think bigger picture. If I think if you're thinking it's it, the dangerous situation is if you're thinking uh, short term and then hiring that way. But if you're thinking exactly. long term and hiring that way, then you know I think you're a bit more in a comfort zone. And then it ultimately comes down to, you know, uh, you, you put faith in the, your hiring managers and, and and leaders to you know bring in the people they need and want, and they can prove value and um, mm. uh, and you know that that's important too. It, it can't be this kind of open. Uh, open scenario where everyone's bringing everybody in. And, well, and that's such uh, a challenge. No rhyme or reason. Yeah, but that's such a challenge. Like, how long do you spend in average with a candidate before you hire them? Right? Like, in time, if you've had to put it in a time bucket, like maybe, I don't know, two hours or maybe a bit more. Like, Bef- before we hire them? Yeah, how long do you spend with them actually speaking to them? Uh, like, personally or to the, the organization side? No, yourself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so probably yeah, two hours, I would say like there's a screening, there's right. a, uh, yeah. And then uh, the rest. Yeah. But then, you know, it goes back to kind of this, you have to trust your colleagues to vet the process of and, uh, you, you need to be very clear with that, with your hiring committee, you know, what the, uh, must haves are for a candidate for your role, what the nice to haves are. So it goes back to, I think, um, for, as a hiring manager, educating the, the group that's helping you, yeah. To, to assess everything because otherwise you won't have time, right? Again, you're, let's say the hiring process is altogether seven hours or 10 hours in, in interviews. There's no way you can do that yourself, right? So uh, you need to put trust in people that they can evaluate qualities for your team as well. And also what's interesting is that when you're hiring, like one thing is the job description and another thing is who you end up bringing in, right? Very often it's not exactly as it is on paper. Like I very rarely have even I've, most jobs I've gotten, I didn't fit the job description perfectly, right? Um, and, and as you start bringing new pieces in, then your whole notion of who you want to bring in next might change because as a manager, you want to like leverage the strengths of your team. And as you see them working, you're like, hey, this guy has this side of him that I didn't know. He's really good at this. So then we might get somebody else to fill in this gap and to fill. So that constantly evolves as well, right? Because if you're fixed and you say in January, from here to December, I want to hire these 20 roles. And is, as people come in, you don't adapt the new roles, then you might be shooting yourself in the foot, right? Because there's like people come in and bring new skills and you start leveraging strengths that you didn't think they would have and you need to fill in the gaps with other people, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, but there's, a, there's also a limit to that, right? You're bringing mm. in someone typically for a certain function, uh, or, or a certain part of the to help a certain part of the business or a certain part of the strategy. So ideally, that the person you hire is helping you in a very focused area. Yeah. And, and during that time, yeah, you learn about what what else they bring uh, to the organization or to the team, and 
you potentially expand their opportunities or uh, yeah, put them in, in a better position. But I think that initial, let's say, uh, you know, two years, three years, four years is really in a focused area, right? So, um, and these are good problems to have too, right? If you yeah, someone happy problems. They have like, yeah, they have like other skills that you, they can help you out. I mean, these, that's kind of that, that type of people you also want to end up hiring. So. Yeah. All right, man, we start to wrap it up now because it's already going to be an hour. It went really fast. Uh, we've got a few last minutes to share some resources. Uh, usually we, we ask us to send uh, podcasts, TV shows, whatever you feel like sharing. Uh, do you have something under your sleeve that you want to share with people? Yeah, it's funny. So uh, the way I've looked at resources have changed in the last few years. I really look at things where in areas that I need help. So I, I used to, let's say, consume in a blanket fashion yeah. things, right? So uh, yeah, everything about product, let's say, or, or, or strategy. And now if there's areas where I want to focus on or work on, I, I look at, um, at, at uh, specific uh, things. And I think that's super helpful. And, uh, you know, so for me, uh, like from a product perspective, like mine the product or anything from Marty Kagan, I typically go to. So mm -hmm. if I need to find something specific, I go there. Uh, the other thing I've found interesting, and I've, I've done it for the last uh, three years, is is really read autobiographies. So I just uh, super cool. Just finished. I agree. Yeah, I just I just finished Ride of a Lifetime, which was um, Robert Iger, the CEO of Disney, his yeah. his autobiography, uh, and it's uh, and it's it's interesting because if you read these autobiographies, you can see this decision making process someone went through and the risks they took and things like that right yeah so pr prior to that um i had i had read titan which is the autobiography of john d rockefeller which you know is um it's a huge book but it's, it's, it's interesting because if you read this book you see that in retrospect people think okay yeah oil of course it was uh it's uh it's a bet anyone should have placed but yeah. he took an immense risk right he had this long-term bet on the market and, and yeah. what he wanted to do and actually there was a point where he could have lost everything and um so there's this you know you can kind of see these things that people pick up right they, they have this very strong vision of what they think the world's going to be like uh, they have a conviction in what they're doing uh, so they can make decisions. So mm -hmm. I, I always encourage people to kind of look at autobiographies. I agree, man. I, I actually, I had this conversation with some friends as well. Like, for example, like the Steve Jobs one, I'm not a massive fan of Steve Jobs or anything, but it's, it's basically a story about the entire computer industry, right? So there's yeah. so much milestones that you go through it, like that, that are so beyond you liking the guy or you not liking the guy. Uh, and also not only people in your terrain, as you were saying, like there's also an Einstein one from the same, from the same uh, author that I think is su super interesting. So good recommendation. Uh, I wanted to give, a, I usually say books, but then Sujan on the last episode named every book I've ever read when I told him to share one episode. So he's, I don't have any books more. I have to catch up with my reading. Uh, so I wanted to share a podcast, which I think is highly related to what we were talking about today. It's called Work Life with Adam Grant. He's the, actually he's an author. He wrote the book Originals, which I think is a very popular book. But this is a podcast created by, by TED. So it's a part of the TED Talks uh, podcasts. And it's basically essentially all about, um, all about work-life balance. Uh, he's a psychologist, so it's super, super interesting insights for anybody who in this day, I think this includes like 90% of the population struggling with boundaries and work-life balance in a, in a pandemic. I would really, really recommend to give that one a check. All right, my man. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. I called you last minute and you were up for it. So you're a champ. 
And uh, I, I thank you. And I was really happy to have you here with me today. Thanks, Nacho. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, enjoyed the chat. All right, man. Thank you. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>